Welcome to the Changemakers in CRE, a podcast by Realist. We're bringing you the stories and the people driving change and innovation in the commercial real estate industry. You're about to hear from a changemaker as they share what went right, what went wrong, what they've learned along the way, and what's next. So tune in and join us as we uncover what the future will look like for commercial real estate. Hi everyone and welcome to the Changemakers in Commercial Real Estate. My name is Tom Wallace. I'm the founder and CEO of Released Commercial Property Management Software. And today I'd like to welcome along Michael Gillen. Michael is joining us from Bailey's where he is the Head of Retail Management um, and has a lot of experience. Michael worked has worked at Collier's here in New Zealand uh, and then went over to London as many Kiwis do and spent around about eight years uh, with JLL before returning back to uh, these shores here where he works up at Bailey's now. So welcome along, Michael. Great to have you. Yeah, kia ora, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Hey, uh, Michael, I just thought it'd be great to get started. Just if you could give us a bit of an intro, a bit of a background into how you got into the industry and your current role um, with Bailey's. Yeah, no, sure. I've been with Bailey's for just over a year now. I started in early 2021 as the head of retail management within the Bailey's Property Services Division here. And so for the... Uh, first, I want to say about six months of my role here was primarily a business development role as we looked to grow our retail assets under management. As you mentioned, I was previously at Collier's in Auckland for about seven years prior to relocating over to the UK for just around 10 with a large number of years there with, with JLL where I finished up as a national director in their what's called the managed services division, the property and asset management team there. All up, yeah, circa, what's that, about 18, 19 years now in the industry. And, you know, it's been great to be back in, in New Zealand and trying to grow this retail um, of the business, albeit for, uh, I must admit, for the last, since about August last year, my role's evolved somewhat. Now I've moved into more of a, I guess, a national portfolio manager role, still with the, the retail business development hat on. As well. In fact, we just picked up a, a new shopping centre the other week, but I'm primarily responsible for the Blackstone or 151 property managed assets, office assets here in Wynyard Quarter, of which Bailey's House is actually one of them. And then also have taken on the responsibility for the Centuria portfolio, which used to be under the Augusta brand or banner until a year or so ago. They're, I guess, the Centuria and, and Blackstone portfolios are two of our largest clients and in the international, I guess, background, which I guess has helped with my previous experience over in the UK, where I was responsible for some similar large clients from ranging from institutional investors from the likes of Schroeder's and RPMI Railpen, what was Standard Life, which is now, I think, some acronym it might be Aberdeen. Um, Aberdeen and yeah, then also, yeah, and then also finished up with a client, which is essentially IKEA. It was the investment of IKEA Inca Centres who purchased one of my shopping centres in London. So I got to work closely with them. And it was a really interesting journey, actually, with their transition into the ownership of that particular asset because. You wouldn't necessarily think it, but they're very much a sustainability-focused organisation. And uh, some of the initiatives that they were uh, putting in place, uh, trying to implement, and we'd seen across the more centres that they owned on the continent were were market-leading and 
they're very much an investor who looks at the the assets that they own as what they call meeting places mm-hmm. as opposed to shopping centres. They certainly looked at it as a as a sense of how the how the asset fitted into the community. I, I guess, guess they did that um, with their products too. Everything I've bought from IKEA, I've managed to break pretty quickly. I don't know if I call their products that sustainable, but <laughs> maybe they're getting better. Yeah, perhaps uh, <laughs> that might be the rationale as to why they put so much emphasis into their uh, the properties that they own. But no, they, they, in fairness, they are yeah, they're very much a front runner in terms of ESG practices that they implement there. I guess yeah, the uh, my experience over in the UK, particularly in the ESG and prop tech bases led me to wear a couple more hats within the Bailey's organisation here in the sense of leading from that point of view and trying to look at how we can take forward some of the ideas and initiatives that we had in place in the UK and see if they are suitable for the New Zealand market. Uh, Nearly 20 years in the industry, I guess that probably gets, uh, I don't know if I can call you a veteran, I say that's probably getting (laughs) dangerously close to being in the veteran territory. I think you would have had that and also like international experience, right? It's You would have seen a lot of change and a lot of interesting things. You mentioned ESG a number of times. I think that's going to be super relevant in this conversation. UK is, it appears to me like UK is a long way ahead a lot further ahead than New Zealand, Australia, and the UK, sorry, the US, on their journey there. Uh, like, do, do you have an opinion on when that came about? Like, why are they further ahead when they when that became something from like, moved from like a background conversation of like, like this is coming up to actually like, hey, you're going to really struggle to sell your building or let your building get tenants in unless you take that yeah. seriously, which is, it seems like where it's at now. Do you ever sort of, did you, did you see that while you were there, that change? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one having been back in New Zealand for just over a year now. I think my initial views when I got back to, to New Zealand was that we were so far behind and there's a lot of work to be done to catch up to what's being done in international markets. That being said, I have seen some really good stuff being carried out by the likes of, without wanting to drop too many names, but the likes of Goodman and particularly from an industrial perspective, but they're they're certainly leading the way and you're certainly seeing others more, I guess, institutional owners perhaps, the likes of Precinct with their Grisby ratings and Legacy certainly doing a lot in that space as well. And even occupiers, the likes of Countdowns and their new store formats have certainly got a lot more green credentials around them. But just to your point around the UK and why they're so far ahead, I think a lot of that has got to do with the the mandates around energy performance certificates. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those, but essentially the, the tenancy or each unit in each building will get a, a rating based on their energy performance. It will range from an A, B, C to right down to, to an F and a G. And essentially you can't do a transaction on a building or a unit that has got a F or a G rating. That certainly prompted a lot of landlords, particularly some of our clients, to have a take stock of their portfolio and identify which buildings were at risk of potentially being stranded, which I think is going to become quite the you know, key terminology is stranded assets out there. From yeah, yeah. ESG I'd like to, dig, I'd like to think, dig into that. I think that's super interesting. Like if you think about yeah. uh, like, it seems to me like this is the way these sort of things play out is there's a lot of talk about it and then eventually like a corporate or a tenant will say we've put it in our in our charter in our company charter mm. we simply can't sign a property that doesn't align with that what we've said and what we've put out into the market and and from that point on it's like money's actually talking things happen it seems to start with the institutionals 
So like your precincts and, and those will be able to react quickest. Blackstone, Goodman, all of those big ones. But it does trickle down to the mass market. And I imagine there'll be a lot of people listening who will be thinking about this in their own portfolio thinking, when is this coming? Is this going to be? We've seen similar disruption in things like earthquake, and we, and we saw that it can have a, it can really sort of shake up the market because suddenly you've got an asset that needs millions of dollars to be spent on it just to get it to the level that it was at the year before, to put a bunch of steel in. What, what's your prediction in terms of that? Like, what would cause a stranded asset? Do you think what would need to happen to to avoid that, or like, do you think there's just going to be some properties that? are going to become really, really hard to lead and sell, to lease and sell yeah. in the future. Yeah, no, I think I think there will be. I think in the UK, just to jump back to there for a second, a large number of their, I guess, landlords, large institutional clients or large institutional organizations or pension funds or what have you that have got that internal pressure for from an SG perspective. They all have their boards and the like questioning their property teams as to what are they doing from a, and I probably should have mentioned for those who aren't aware, what the E and the S and the G stand for. So you've got the environmental, the social and the government governance credentials of, of the companies or the assets as well that they own. And anyway, where was I going with this? They have a large, I guess, share of the of the assets within, within those markets. And, and it's also is the same in Australia, I think, where you've got a large large REITs or large institutional uh, investors who own the, the large share of those in offices, industrial buildings, et cetera. Whereas in New Zealand, I think the property owner's uh, type is, is you've got the bright and shiny buildings at the top, the precinct owned, the Kiwi owned buildings, Blackstone owned buildings. But then I think we had a session yesterday with the New Zealand Green Building Council where it was deemed you got this massive iceberg of properties underneath it, which uh Predominantly, probably owned by families, high net worth individuals, maybe some prop co's who don't necessarily have that internal pressure from their shareholders or boards no. to, to carry out these sorts of ESG initiatives. And so, how do we convince them to get on board with some of these, you know, carbon decarbonizing their buildings, their portfolios, and why would they jump on board with the? the whole ESG climate change movement. And it's really going to, I think, come down to a few things, be it a government mandate. It's worked well in Australia where you've got neighbours mandated over there where you've got to have a minimum neighbours rating. And I guess I touched on earlier the, the EPC requirement in the UK. It was funny, when I was in London, you get all my UK colleagues going, oh, you're from New Zealand, you've got this clean green image, you guys use neighbours and I was like, what, what's Neighbours? I have no idea what yeah, you're talking about. You don't know the TV show. Freelance, Neighbours, it's obviously spelled differently. What is, do you, could you rattle the acronym? I certainly can't remember the acronym off the top of my head. I'd probably look it up easy enough. But I think it's is it National Australian Benchmark for Energy. It's a, it's a better guess than, I'm, than I've got at the moment. We'll, we'll find out and write it up that. afterwards. Yeah. Social I mean, there's so, there's so many acronyms. And to... Coming back to my point, the around the mandate, I think that's, and I know the New Zealand Green Building Council are doing some really solid work in this space, uh, advocating for some form of mandate to be put in place if we are to reach the target that we've got as a country for that 2050 zero carbon goal. We're going to have to put in place some sort of requirement or mandate that 
there will need to be a minimum neighbours rating because that fairness there is a large number or, or growing number of buildings in New Zealand that do have a neighbours rating and so that primarily covers your energy and uh, your energy usage and it's great to see that there are buildings and owners who are taking on board that rating and looking to continuously improve it year on year. Well, the, I guess the data's out as well, right? If you like, I'm, I'm sure some are doing it for the right reasons, but I believe in many cases, it's economically, it makes the most sense now, right? And I, and I know like governments won't sign leases now without the neighbours rating being in a certain level. That's right. But if you're building a new That's building, right. it would be remiss to not think of that and consider it up front because you're quite likely building a building that's either going to need a lot of work or is going to be very hard to lease once the initial once the initial lease has oh, come up. 100%. Yeah. yeah, no, 100%. So it's... Well, most new builds these days have a, some form of green star rating by design or as built, mm-hmm. and that's great. It's certainly a stepping stone in the right direction. And But what I think is hopefully going to be a lot more common is the green star and performance rating tool, which takes it the next step further and actually models how is the building performing as it should as per the green design that it was built or just built to, is it actually performing in the way that it's supposed to? And how are we checking that? And you know, that's measured over a three-year period and audited, and you get a nice bright shiny badge to say that you've green, got a green star performance rating. And I think that coming back to the benchmarks, I think that's going to be quite important going forward. I know there are so many these days and it's hard to keep up. But you run the risk of greenwashing if you don't have some form of third-party verification. And it's quite easy at the moment, given the whole wave of ESG marketing out there, that green promotions, it's very much a concern. I know that this is the International Sustainability Standards Board, IWSB, looking at some sort of global standard, because there's just so many different yeah. ratings and accreditations that building owners can sign up to. still feels a bit like the Wild West in many ways. A little bit There's a lot of noise. Don't quite know who to listen to yet. It hasn't quite, it feels like it hasn't leveled out just yet. No, no, that's right. And so it'll be good to have that global standard. And I guess at the moment for those larger institutions and particularly those with with international exposure, you've got the, the GRISB rating, which is that Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, which we carry out here for for the Blackstone owned assets and I know precinct do it and and I couldn't touch on that's that's investor led. That's I guess pressure from in, internal stakeholders or shareholders as well to to get a Grisby rating so you can benchmark against your peers and see how you're performing. And that's quite a holistic tool to an extent where it's not just focused on energy and utility usage like the Neighbours one that also can, takes into consideration risk assessments around climate resilience to looking at tenant satisfaction surveys and how you're treating your the, the occupiers that utilise the this, this space within your building. It's certainly got a lot of traction globally and Australia tends to score very like, highly and it's which is great great to see from what I read the other week about precinct scores that was also they did pretty well as well. But I guess the large number of our clients were all signed up to it. And the pressure, I guess, that was put on 
the fund managers to get good scores trickled down to the property managers who were managing the, their assets to ensure that we would carry out certain initiatives to, to try and increase the GRISP score annually. It certainly helped, I think, with some of those investors where I think the likes of Legal and General, we were told that their fund managers were rather than incentivized on in their bonus structure around how their ESG or the assets in their fund were performing from an ESG perspective, which I'm hoping, again, might be a bit more commonplace going forward and therefore switch those for those people in those roles mindsets towards focusing on these ESG initiatives to so that money, personally money talking again. Yeah. It, gets, it certainly seems to be an effective way of getting action. Oh, that's awesome, Michael. Thank you for the background there. Just just to finish off, this has been super enlightening. If if you could, like if you, someone in the property industry, whether you're a, you're a property manager, you're a landlord, uh, you're, just some, you're, you're in the industry, you want to learn more, but you're starting from scratch. Right? You're just hearing about this, this trend, you know it's something that is real and going to continue. Like, What would be your advice about like where to start, where to, where to start learning about this and, and start getting up school? Because it does feel like if you... If you don't, you run the risk of being caught up by it down the line. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, though there's some really useful training, free training courses that actually that are online on the New Zealand Green Building Council website that are worth having a look at. They cover both, I think, an introduction to neighbours for those that haven't already got neighbours in place within their buildings, as well as there's an introduction to Green Star, which gives you an insight into the design rating and also the the performance rating tools that are are options should they wish to to proceed with those and there's certainly other organizations out there that have got various different material that you can read and the toy twos of this world i think there'll be the external reporting board is certainly they're in consultation at the moment so that's certainly going to be a focus for those financial institutions or financial organizations who Banks, insurers, that the, those invest, those with investment schemes, where I think is a total assets of about a billion. I think they've got to report on their scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. So there's certainly going to be a lot more focus for those people within those companies or organisations to get upskilled in this area, and um, you're probably going to see a lot more prop tech investment in. ESG. I mean, there's already been a wall of it, but you know, New Zealand. I think we'll see more, more people looking at carbon calculators and the like, and working out how to reduce their emissions as a result of they're getting that data and feeding it into those sorts of platforms. It's certainly completely um, agree. Going to be it's a growing a space. Very interesting, fast-moving, growing space. Hundred percent. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your your knowledge and your insight. It's been super enlightening, I and mean, I really appreciate you making the time. It was great to chat, and yeah, we're looking forward to talking again soon. Yeah, no problem, Tom. Anytime. Cheers. You've been listening to The Changemakers in CRE, a podcast by Released. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show and sharing the episodes you love. That helps us continue bringing you the best stories about what's next for commercial real estate. Thanks for listening.